amplified pattern recognition. Why does the universe exist? Yeah. Yeah. We're about five light sides away from Welcome to Think Tank. This is a podcast where in each episode we pick a topic and discuss it with industry professionals and thought leaders in that industry. I'm Josh Gonzalez. And I'm Braden Drew. And we're the hosts of Think Tank. This is episode two, where we'll be talking about social virtual reality and what it'll be like to be in a virtual world with your friends and other people around the world. In this episode, we have Tony Parisi, who's the author of Learning Virtual Reality and the founder of the WebVR Meetup in San Francisco. He's an entrepreneur, a career CTO, and a software architect, developing virtual reality and social games for VR. He currently runs platform products for Weaver, a virtual reality community. Check them out at wevr.com. They're doing some amazing things. Our other guest is Nick Ochoa, co-founder of Upload VR, which is a virtual reality news website. Nick is also a thought leader in the virtual reality industry. If you want to stay on top of current trends in VR, visit their website at uploadvr.com. And in these conversations, we'll be bringing up ideas, philosophies, processes, among other things, and just try to get different perspectives on this topic. Both Nick and Tony have very unique ideas about what the future of a connected virtual world would look like. This episode was recorded in San Francisco, California, but all of our intros were recorded back home in our studios in Toronto. Let's get right into it. Thanks a lot for coming around, guys. This is awesome. Yeah, no pleasure. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and what you're working on right now? I'm Nick Ochoa. I'm co-founder of Upload VR and independent consultant at N11A Consulting, which is my new consulting company. And I just am a hardcore VR evangelist trying to talk and see as much of this space as I possibly can. I am Tony, and I'm the VP of uh, Open Technologies and Web Technologies at Weaver, an LA-based content company that is also creating a platform for other content creators to make VR. So I actually came across your book, uh, Learning Virtual Reality on, uh, on Amazon.com, and I started going through the, um, the supplementary reading on it. But um, what can you tell us about that? It's a starter book. It's for people who are um, programmers. You need to know how to write code, but you don't have to be an expert game developer who want to learn what it is involved in creating virtual reality. Right. So more hard coding than it is like using something like Unity? Uh, no, it, it actually features Unity. About 60-70% of the book is oh, examples wow. in Unity. Most of VR development is being done in Unity. Right. Even for social, yeah? For the online stuff? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Uh, at least one of the companies I know about, VRChat, has got a um, Unity client they're using to do their social stuff. But I think, you know, some of the other companies, let's see, Altspace, I think, I think is also Altspace built in well. Unity, right? Nick? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and there's another um, uh, social VR company called Balula that's actually built it all in WebGL, completely open technologies, because the browsers actually let you do virtual reality now. Right, yeah. And I think it's a little bit more open, right? On going through the browser than it is going through something like Oculus's uh, setup in their platform. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's all still shaking out about, you know, open in terms of how the content gets distributed. O Oculus has created a store, you know, yeah. through which you actually access everything. But since Oculus runs on a desktop, you can also just download an executable and find it anywhere. And so, you know, essentially Oculus is effectively open from that point of view, at least on desktops. It's a little different for the Gear VR version. Yeah. For sure. It's kind of hard to keep that really open, though, on the mobile. Yeah, everything seems to want to go through a store. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which I think is a huge problem in VR. Right. The the idea of an app store is something we're really accustomed to when it comes to mobile and, and what we're used to on platforms like the web and mobile. But with VR, it just 
an app store stops making intuitive sense. I mean, at least it has to change. The aesthetic of it has to change. Because getting into a Gear VR right now, you're still putting on a headset and you're landing in a room with a bunch of floating app tiles in front of you. Yeah. And you still have to select and go in and out of your apps to enjoy VR. And I just don't think that's the way VR is meant to be or is going to be in yeah, the future. It's got to be a bit more seamless than that. Yeah, which I think social is going to accomplish. When I think VR and I think of like an app store, I, I kind of see social VR or landing or whatever our world is as our starting point in VR and then taking off from there to go to our experiences where, yes, we might have to pay for those experiences, like we have to pay for apps, but I, I don't see the future of VR being, oh, I'm going to go download this really cool app and then launch it on my homepage and go into it and then hold the back button for six seconds until I can jump out and then go back in. I think that it's all going to be unified in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Like one open world, essentially. Yeah. This idea of the metaverse. Right. right. Yeah. But I'm juggling with this concept of in the real world, we wake up, we wake up in the bed that we fell asleep in last night, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we wake up and we're in the world and we have the means to get anywhere that we want to go. Uh, if we want to go get breakfast, we can go to a restaurant. We travel there by bus, cab, Uber, uh, car, whatever. Or we fly and we go somewhere else. But in, in mobile, we have like a phone and to get places, we have a home screen and we open them up and we go to them and then we go back. Uh, and I think VR is more attuned to the real world than it is mobile. And for that reason, I think we need to break away from whatever this app store vibe is that's being created and move more towards a unified place where we can just go to yeah. whatever it is that we want to do. With a set of standards and the way to travel. So how would the travel work? Would it be like the internet now where you type in like a search bar? Because I know Altspace is doing something like that. I think there's going right. to be a lot of different ways to do it. And um, the one thing we're not going to do most likely is try to replicate the real world in terms of that physics. You're not going to walk through some sprawling virtual world to get to the next place. You're probably teleporting somehow, right? And you may still have these tiles that you know Nick was referring to, but they may be in a little utility belt that sort of pops up in front of you and a heads-up display so you can get somewhere really quick. Or you may want to type a URL, but typing is obviously ridiculous in VR at the moment, right? And using gaze to... You know, type on a virtual keyboard is probably going to be not very efficient and, and popular. So, you know, I don't know, maybe voice search, you know, voice activated keywords could take you certain places. I mean, uh, voice search has come a long way these days. Amazon and Google, you know, a lot of there's a lot of services exist already. We can actually tap into and build upon. So, we don't, you know, people don't have to build all that from scratch. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's going to be new designs for doing all that, but it has to be as smooth and seamless as, as these kind of real-world things Nick was alluding to. It's not going to be a copy of an App Store interface. I mean, I think it's just people are starting there because it seems so natural, and it was, you know, ruled by mobile development. There's a, there's a theory that everything going through an App Store means all the developers can make money, though. When you actually run the numbers, it's like 1% of developers actually make any money in App Stores. Everybody right. else is screwed, yeah. right? Yeah. And they end up spending all their money on Discovery and all this other stuff. So that's not necessarily the best model to try and replicate, but it's a starting point that a lot of folks have started from just as a, as a way to get going. Yeah. I, I don't think it's, the world's going to look like that in five years at all. No, not at all. But yeah, I guess you, you bring, up, bring up a really good point where things get really oversaturated. I mean, are we seeing that already with VR? Or is it pretty much open right now? And 
everything's novel and everything that you do, someone will find out and someone will see it. Are we still at that point? Because I remember like even last year with DK1, DK2 apps, like it was like a handful of apps that everyone kind of knew. Like, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Like, yeah, totally. But what now. do you mean by oversaturated though? When, when you say oversaturated, because to me that's kind of an ambiguous term for a lot of things. Are you meaning like on the experience side or... I don't know. I think more on the store side, like you said, with like iOS, like Android, like it's hard to find things and it's just like a huge pile of apps and Mm -hmm. it's just a lot of them doing the exact same thing. So like even with like social apps, are they all just going to be part of one big social VR app or are are they all going to try to be the social app? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think there's going to be one. Yeah, I just I don't doubt that future very much. I think there'll at least be a few competing big ones. Right. Yeah. Right. But then within that, if these are very large open worlds, then you still get the discovery problems. Like, how am I going to find your place that you've made in High Fidelity or Nixie's made in Alt Space? You know, exactly the same discovery problems. Yeah. So discovery problems exist everywhere, though, right? I mean, even in the real world, you don't know about a place really unless what your friends like wrote a Foursquare four square or Yelp review about right. it or like post it on Facebook or you search for something within your geographical area. Like we're constantly building tools to aid in discovery. Uh, it's a huge issue. And Facebook is, you know, curates a news feed based on your interest to make discovery uh, more accustomed to what you want to see. And I think that social for VR is I mean, when I open the internet, I go on Facebook, I go on Twitter, I go on LinkedIn, and I navigate to the rest of the web from there, for the most part. Right. I think a lot of people do uh, the same type of thing. It's it's like not the same as uh, the days where we would like open Yahoo as our homepage yeah. and <laughs> uh, go and click on the millions of hyperlinks from there. But I think for social VR is going to be, people are going to have multiple starting points for social. There's not going to be one. Uh, Just like we use Facebook, we use Twitter, we use Instagram, we use Snapchat. If we're under 34, we use Snapchat. Uh, But there's going to be multiple places that people are going to want to go and hang out. And they'll differentiate themselves in subtle ways. uh, But there's definitely not going to be one player. Right. It's just making sure that they're all actually connected and you can actually do things between them. Because right now, well, like, right, yeah. Twitter and Instagram, is, there's not yeah, much you can no, do between no. the two, right? Well, but they do interoperate yeah. with each other because, uh, you know, you can write a Twitter app and, in fact, it exists that, you know, posts your Instagram photos. And the reason that is possible is because it's built on an open web infrastructure. But right? even and on things like Twitter, you post, an, not right now. You post an Instagram right. photo on Twitter and you have to click the link. Twitter does not display the image. You have to click the link they to They don't play nice together to no. go. So and they've purposely done that. Yeah, that was something that they made a change to do. I don't think people are going to play that nicely, especially to begin with. Right? right. In uh, VR, definitely in v- not. No, yeah. definitely not. The knives are under the table, guys. I know. And it's, they're going to come out at some point in the next <laughs> yeah. year. Oh yeah, for, for but, sure. But there's going to be things. I think the differences are going to be like some might uh, heavily focus on avatars as personal identities. Some might not have as big of a focus on avatars as personal identities. People are going to pick and choose which one they want to spend most of their time in right um and there's a big discussion around just avatars in general i know tony you are uh you're big on the fact that you don't think avatars are totally 100 percent necessary to have like engaging vr experiences and i'm i'm kind of of the same belief but i think that i think that what an avatar does is it gives us a real like personal profile that we can identify with beyond what we're used to today. I mean, our personal profiles on social today are pretty boring, right? Like Facebook, you have a, like a a header, 
like a header image, a cover image and your profile picture and then whatever's on your wall. And that's like your online identity. Instagram, same thing, right? You have like your stream of photos that you've curated and whatever your profile picture is. And that's become our identity in a way online. It's, and it's pretty bare bones. It's not very deep. It's about an inch deep. But when you, when you want to get into like avatars, people really form connections with their avatars. Second Life by Linen Lab is a good example of this. People spend a lot of money like getting the right different dresses and shoes and attire for their avatar uh, because it's something that they can really identify with. So I think that's going to be one of the big differences in social VR is how people use identities, self-identities in VR, and that will probably drive users to them based on whatever those differences so are. So it's definitely in like a 3D space in that kind of realm. So how would you identify yourself? Right, is like just like how you do now? Like I see you're wearing a necklace right now. Do you identify with that? Like is it your style? Is it the way that you show yourself, your hairstyle, if maybe different faces, different masks on? Totally. Yeah. I, I, well, in the real world, we're, we're mostly curators, not creators, right? Like I can right. bet you didn't make any of the things you're wearing. Yeah, no. Right. Exactly. But, but you have curated them and they've become part of your identity and you wear them and it's still part of you, but you didn't have to make that, right? Like you right. just curated it. Um, and I think in, in VR, it's going to be very much the same. You know, there's going to be people who create things, will curate items that we want to match how we're feeling or how we're like trying to go into that world. Um, and that'll become our identity. So maybe I'm a totally different person in VR, you know, maybe I don't have a necklace, <laughs> but I have like six foot high spiked Mohawk hair. Like, right. You never my, know. My avatars are always women in VR, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Don't even have to be human really. <laughs> yeah. And they don't have yeah. to be human, but I always end up picking women for some reason. Anyway, um, I just want to jump in and follow on what Nick said, because you kind of put words in my mouth, but that's okay. Cause it's not far from the truth in terms of how, you know, how I think about avatars. Um, I, I have a, what I feel is a nuanced uh, sort of attitude about it. Uh, one, they're very hard to do well. You have to do them in such a way that they add serious value. I think Second Life's probably the best proof of doing it well so far, and people do invest a huge amount of their time in it. Um, but if they're, not, if they're not adding that much value, they're actually taking value away. I mean, it's a really tricky problem, right? And so that's going to be one of the areas that I'm going to be looking at a lot over the next few years as to how the new crop of folks like High Fidelity and Altspace and uh, VRChat and everyone else does, because it's hard. So that's, that's one thing about it. And I also don't think, by the way, though, that they're required for having a lot of meaningful kind of social VR interaction. So it kind of depends on how you define social VR. I personally internally kind of define it as sharing experiences. It doesn't mean that I need a physical representation and presence in the space, but it does mean that I need to be able to access something you've created, for example. So to me, I think of it more like Minecraft or maybe where Tiltbrush is going to be going in the future or Medium. Is that like, hey, look what I made, and everybody needs to be able to see and experience that because you know this is a medium where we can create a lot of stuff you know, not, that we can't do in the real world. And so I'm excited about it from that standpoint. That is inherently social. If I just make that thing, if I make it the tallest building I can conceive of, because I can't do that in the real world, I'm not a real architect, and I'm really proud of it. If nobody else can see it, I don't know, unless they walk over to my PC and I put a vibe on their head, that's, you know, no. that's awful, right? So to me, that's what social VR is just as much about as it is the real-time interactions for any kind of uh, avatar communication. Yeah, that's a really good point. It has to be creative. Otherwise, that's part of the identity too, right? So like maybe some kind of personal portfolio that's attached to your ID, like a personal ID kind of thing. So like here's what I've been talking about, but here's the things I've created and here's the space. Like, 
And then you also have to show that in a 3D space. So what would it look like a museum? Like, you know, it's a really good point. Like, I don't know what that would really look like. And it's going to be weird to see how that would look like. Is it like a home? Like, you guys come to my home and check out my house with all the things I've made in there and all the things I've Is done. Is it a cathedral? Yeah. <laughs> or could yeah. it be anything? Is it whatever I want? Yeah. Or it could be whatever you want. But we need the tools to be able to create that. Like a, like a Behance or a Dribble. Right, like for yeah. VR, right? But yeah. it's... So it doesn't have to be 3D either, then. It becomes really... Like the web and mobile, we've got done a lot to get things really simple, to simplify things, to dumb things down to their basics. And VR kind of opens up a whole new can of worms in terms of the amount of flexibility you can have in, in something like that and the amount of creative flexibility users want uh, because of the medium and, and how it is. So you bring up a good point. Maybe it's a cathedral for you, Tony. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know, a museum for you. And maybe it's like my underground dope basement for me. But maybe we should or shouldn't have the ability to choose those things. I, I don't know. Like... Is there too much flexibility in VR when it comes to user-generated content and how we showcase it? Right now, no. Right. But Like the Oculus Home is just a pretty generic modern home. Everyone sees the exact same home. Like, I don't know. Do you think that'll be something we'll be able to customize ourselves? Like, is that our starting point? Like you said, you wake up, you're in your home. Is that Will that be the case every time? Or what if I found this awesome place out in the middle of some random woods or something with some log cabin? And I'm like, you know, I want to save this. I want to wake up here. So when you log back in, you just open up there. So wouldn't that be like your desktop wallpaper or your mm-hmm. home yeah. tabs that you have on your browser? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think of it that way. Yeah. You know? And so that's what it should be. I don't want to wake up in Oculus's house or, you know, any anybody's stylized version of what they think my universe should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's all personal. Just like Nick was saying, right? So yeah, it's like that's where you wake up and <laughs> that's how you expect your world to be laid out, right? So it, yeah. it seems to be mainly the openness is what's going to drive the social form of VR. You need that open platform for everyone to have the creativity. And VR doesn't really have that right now. It's very closed off. Like you said, if you wanted to experience something that you personally created, I have to go over to your computer and put on your vibe. Like, Or so, you have to go download this app. And that's like right. the friction to doing that right now. It's just a ridiculous amount of friction, right? I mean, how many mobile apps do you download on a daily basis? I mean, you know... Um, Avid mobile gamers might get one or two a day, right? But I got my 10 apps. I don't get anything new. But th- those 10 apps are like, you know, Slack and Twitter and Facebook. They're these super apps that are delivering yeah. web content to me right. through a different usage pattern. But that's all web content. If we didn't have the standard formats and infrastructure of the web, we wouldn't have all that content. We'd never actually have an explosion of all that content. And if we were building the, trying to build the web 20 years ago like... We're trying to build VR today, it would never have taken off. And it's like, oh, I'm going to CNN. Well, there's no CNN to go to. I have to go download a PDF CNN made every day just to get the news. It's never, you know, never would have happened. So uh, openness is, is about uh, that instant communication as much as it, is, as it is the freedom of choice of you know, how we create it and what we can create, in my opinion. Is that yeah. like a systematic problem now? Like a, the capitalist mindset of like, we're making something, we want to make sure we're getting our return on investment, we're making all this money off here. Or is it like, you know, you can build something that people use and they, they'll be value added? I definitely think there's something to uh, like a complacency that comes with with VR today because the web and mobile have existed before. Like the internet, when we were breaking through, breaking down the walls and discovering the internet, uh, it was so new. There was nothing that could relate to it, right? And uh, people were so hungry to make it 
what it is today and to and to build it and yet today with vr you have the big players way early on jumping in and putting billions of dollars towards it i think it forms complacency in a lot of people like this is a for sure thing we can wait and see we have time to write it out so people aren't pushing the envelope like they did in the internet when it was like this is make or break if we don't make this happen nobody will uh those so those same people that were making it happen now have billions of dollars and are investing into vr and i think people just feel like it's a for sure thing and i would agree in some case that it is a for sure thing. VR is here to stay now. Yeah, it's uh, inevitable at this point. Yeah, it's inevitable. But but with that comes some sort of weird complacency that I think doesn't let people fully push the envelope like they used to. It's also harder to do it all open. It requires a level of commitment to collaboration, which doesn't come naturally to a lot of the people who are playing in this space right now, connected to what Nick was saying about complacency and all that. Um, there are hard technical problems to solve that don't necessarily seem to have an immediate return, right? So the kind of folks who want to invest their time and energy and convince investors to back those kind of plays, they're out there um, and they're working on getting those things funded or you know up and running right now, but it's just going to take a little bit longer and you need a certain kind of investor who would, you know, or backer who would believe that this is a longer play, but it's a bigger play, right? That That... You're going to get bigger returns out of this in the in the, the long, long term, run, yeah. or you know they're just juiced by the idea that like this is a potential disruptor. We're going to go at it and you know you know pull in on the status quo a little bit and take people in a different direction, and then you know we're going to be in a position to reap a lot of rewards for that. So it will come, but it's it's not coming out of the first wave of uh, technology adopters right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty cool at the very first wave, like whether we like it or not, it was from Facebook and Oculus. Like they created the wave. That's what really pushed everyone to do this. And it was a social company that invested all the money, which I think is very important. And a web company. And a web company. That's the best. Well, they're on PHP and I don't think they can get off PHP, right? They're trying. Yeah. What is the best um, backend tool for like just an open, scalable uh, social and web, like oh no, JS is how you'd build all your servers for sure, and then anything that's performance critical. If Node's not handling it, you write C plus plus or some other, you know, performance optimized stuff. But I'm bigoted because I love JavaScript. So I mean, other people like Haskell and some other languages that are Go on the server side um, to do really highly scalable things. But um, I think Node is the great equalizer. Yeah, and you're seeing Node being even used on the client side in tools like Slack I was talking about. It's actually a whole web stack. So Slack, the desktop app you download for Slack is actually web, and the engine is called um, Electron. GitHub originally created it for their desktop version of their client, not their web interface. And it's a web stack that you build an executable out of. So you get all of HTML5 for your user interface, so it's easy to program, and it'll just target all the platforms instantly without any pain. But then if you want to access your uh, hard drive on your desktop or anything else in native services, it uses Node.js embedded in it, too. It's right. a super cool thing. That's I'm awesome. really excited about that stack for building all kinds of apps. And it does WebGL, too, so you can do graphics with it. Oh, everything. yeah, yeah that's amazing. Cool. So I'm hoping some direction like that you know, is, is going to take off in VR at some point. Yeah. So it might not all be in a browser. I'm you know, doing air quotes now that people can't see. It won't all, be in a, won't all be in a browser, but it will all be built with this kind of web tech that, A, easier to develop on, arguably, uh, B, you know, you got all this freedom of choice on the tools, and C, you instantly can pull in all this content created from somewhere else and integrate everything. And integrate everything. That's the biggest thing about Slack, right? Just integrate. So, yeah. 
So there needs to be some kind of hub that will integrate all these things. There needs to be some kind of backbone, like you're saying. I think just web tools and web stacks will be the best way to make sure that everything is coming together. There needs to be a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, on the tool side, especially. There, there's so few tools out there for creators to create with right now. You're limited to Unity, Unreal, um, WebGL, OpenGL, these different languages that you can build VR, 3D experiences with. But, they're all kind of experty. Yeah, they're all yeah. for experts. Like, there's no, there's no Wix, Squarespace, even like Adobe Photoshop equivalent in VR right now, uh, and that's a huge problem because the easier you make something to develop, the more innovation you're going to unlock for more people. And we're still missing, I would say, the majority of tools that are needed to really unlock that innovation. Uh, I think the biggest one is like, where is my Adobe suite equivalent? You know, even uh, something like Tilt Brush or Medium, do those become like a piece of whatever a VR Adobe suite is? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, we need a like a Squarespace, something that doesn't require much coding, but I could build something in VR that I can invite people to. And so like uh, Sims, professional Sims kind of thing, but obviously more robust. Yeah, I I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. The only thing I know is that it needs to move into VR. For for it to be natural and for it to work across more people, it's not going to happen coding on a keyboard. It's going to happen when I'm in the environment in VR and I'm just moving through it and I'm selecting transitions or gestures or things to happen. Uh, but it has to be in VR. And you can't even build VR in VR yet. Yeah, like, I know, that's the not even, part. It's not even a possibility. And, and the big guys are working on it. Uh, Unity and Unreal and Crytek and these guys are working on it, but... Uh, like the fact that we can't do that yet is still ridiculous to me. I'm really non-technical, so I look at this from a, a designer, totally different yeah. perspective. But uh, it, it is still a pain in the ass to try and actually build something in VR unless you want to like get down and learn Unity. And even then, you're going to be able to build something basic unless you have real technical skills, which I mean, people want to build beautiful things, not basic things. Right. Well, like when you think of every other artist, I mean... They get to create for the medium that it will be on. Painters get to paint on their medium. Coders, they're just coding. I mean, like it's getting better with things like Squarespace and Wix, Adobe Photoshop, architects even now. But I think even architects, they'll get into the VR space. It makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. They already, they already are. But the thing is, like now you need to be able to create for the medium it will be on, which is reality. Virtual reality, but you need to be able to create in reality for reality. And I don't know what that looks like. Does that look kind of more like um, an architecture kind of suite? I don't know, because there's, there's still going to have to be some kind of architecture in there. Mm -hmm. But that yeah, might not be the biggest like a, part. It's like a wireframing or a mock-up tool. Right. Like InVision in uh, yeah. for, for VR. If people aren't familiar with InVision, it's a tool where you can upload your Photoshop or PDF documents and make them interactive so it looks and feels like a real web page or mobile app before it's coded. Um yeah, I honestly, I've been begging for like a VR wireframing tool for a while. It hasn't come. Uh, I think there are people working on it, uh, working on things to allow that. But think about even the things that need to exist to make that really effective. Like we have like photo bucket on the web. We have like millions and millions of stock photos. Uh, we have like 250,000 photos in Oculus 360 photos or something like that. Uh, so there's there's so much of this ecosystem that is yet to be built uh, from 3D assets, 
of everything you can imagine uh, to the tools that are needed to like build on top of those assets to ways to distribute those in like social places where people actually are and then can come experience them and like give feedback like from the bottom up it's all still being figured out I mean there's only been a consumer product out for less than a month now right Gear VR came out on the 20th and they sold out in like a day and you still can't get them so we have so much to learn and so much feedback to take in uh, that it's hard to predict what it's going to look like. It, it's it would be silly for me to just give my opinion without having the millions of folks who are going to be in VR like first talk about it. And that that also timing that brings up a really good point around timing, Nick, which is that um, just because the people in this room can imagine these futures that we're talking about, I mean, some of us like me have been at this for you know twenty years, wanting this to happen. I've already thought about a lot of these things for a long time. You know, you guys are younger, but you're super excited about it and kind of live and breathe it. Um, that doesn't mean that the world is ready for all of these things yet, right? We haven't shipped the consumer releases of the tethered headsets yet. Um, those are going to come out, and then we're going to have a few hits from each of those platforms. Hopefully, there'll be a few hit games on PS4. Oculus will have some cinematic stuff. Vive will have some cinematic stuff and games. And, you know, that will change everything six months from now, you know, especially if those platforms do better than expected or as well as expected. And then you're going to get a new wave of folks interested in this stuff. And the problems that we're talking about in, in this particular session, I think, you know, they're starting to, going to start to become more evident to people and folks are going to have more motivation to do them. They're going to start wanting to solve these kind of kind of connection problems and sharing problems right now. It's kind of like still, you know, ground floor releases we got to get through. So just because we can imagine this all, I think we're still a little ways away from it all coming into place in the way we'd expect. Yeah, and I want to go back to this whole idea of like the complacency that comes from all of the web and mobile stuff already being out there too. There's also like to bring it full circle back to this homepage. Like we're designing a homepage in VR. We're still building on top of mobile and the web because they came so fast. Like mobile and the web haven't been around very long. Before that, you had like TV, radio, and before radio is like the written word for thousands, millions of years, right? Uh, you were innovating so fast. VR, AR is like this last medium, people are calling it. And we're still building for it with this 2D mentality. I think we're not going to see like true VR innovation come forward until like the kids who are swiping their TVs uh, to change the channel or swiping a magazine picture to try and get to the next one <laughs> are the ones that are like in and building for VR. The digital natives, yeah. Yeah, like we're we're too clouded by what we expect out of a screen and it's hard to think outside of the box. Literally. Uh, yeah, <laughs> quite literally. Uh, and when people grow up only knowing 3D digital, it's going to create some amazing stuff. That's what I'm excited for. It's like... 10 years out, what is VR going to become when like the real native VR people are building it? And it's not just like all us who are trying to figure it out. Right. It's all those kids that are in high school right now playing Minecraft. So, I mean, like we just got to build the tools and have awesome content for them right now. Also for ourselves, meaning we don't want to just have it for them. But once we give them like the best possible thing that we can give them, imagine what they'll create. Right. Yeah. yeah, they'll probably shit on everything we did and yeah. start anew <laughs> and make it a million times better. But that's that's where I think the the beautiful things in VR are going to start happening. Not to say that uh, VR isn't going to be beautiful for the next 10 years. It already is beautiful, pixelated and all. It's still beautiful. 
but uh, there's something to be said about like the language around storytelling, the language about ex- like explaining a different cinematic experience. Like I was having trouble trying to explain one of Inner Space's pieces, uh, The Fifth Sleep. I don't know if people have seen it, uh, but it's a beautiful experience. And I was trying to explain what that genre was compared to like evolutions of verse, and like trying to wrap my head around the different genres of VR alone is like. I, my head almost exploded. I couldn't figure it out. And it's not as clean cut as like, here's a drama, here's a comedy. It goes so much further than that. It's uh, it's like a dream. You, there's no genre in dreams. It just kind of unfolds, right? right? Yeah. It no, is. it's a good point. It, but we have to call it something. Like we have to... We Josh have, just blew my mind there for a second. It's so. like a lucid dream, you know? Nice. What it is. Nice. Right? But I mean, like, again, the fifth sleep. It, makes, it all makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love the fifth sleep. Interspace's pieces are amazing. They love just, their work. They tell beautiful stories in VR. Weaver, too, tells amazing stories in VR. Uh, and there's just, how do you explain those stories? My point is, like, look how long it took for us to figure out film. And we're on something totally new. So it's going to take 20, 25 years to really figure it out, like, what a feature film in VR is. That's not going to come for a while, I don't think. It, it, I just don't think we're capable of figuring out what's needed for it to, to be a reality right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you look at YouTube now, the, you see the weirdest shit on YouTube. Like stuff, it's just living life through other people's eyes, people who vlog. And I think that's, it could be just that, just very laid back. Like you're just going into someone else's consciousness and just looking through their eyes for a day. Like it could be something just very strange like that, you know? Yeah. Like uh, what's, what's that movie? Um, being John Grisham or something? John being Malcolm Malkovich? Jean, being right. John, John Grisham. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> Spy novelist. Be, <laughs> being John Malkovich, yeah. But uh, maybe that's just one type of genre. Yeah, you know, for sure. I, I don't know. Virtual reality reality shows. Yeah, yeah Ooh, real reality shows. Yeah. Pretty much anything that can exist in reality could try to be created in virtual reality. It's just it's its own medium, and it's a very wild frontier at this point. We're like pioneers just sitting on the edge of what could be. And I think it's it's incredibly fascinating just hearing you guys talk and bring up good points. And I hope in the future a lot of this stuff will come into reality. Yeah, I think so. It will. Yes. It's getting there. I mean, there's no stopping it now. Too much money, too many people, too much innovation happening. Like, and we all want it to happen because it's just like such a like a long dream for everyone here. Yeah, yeah. it's rem- it's good to remember how early all of us are, though. Anybody who's possibly listening to this is also early. Like, there's there's managing expectations. I think is really important for VR because uh, it's so new and it's so novel that we can just be blown away and in. Even like a year, we're going to look back at what we had and we're going to be like, wow, uh, why are we so excited? But uh, it, it's important to manage expectations because like true, really beautiful VR that we're all going to want every single day, like can't live without it, uh, like we can't live without our phones is five, ten years away. Uh, it's not going to happen like overnight. Like a lot of us talk about it. No, it happening. can't. Yeah. Yeah. But you give, you make up a really good point there where like it's you kind of compare it to a cell phone where we can't live without it. But those apps that we can't live without are connection apps. Those are communication apps. Think about how many apps you have on your phone right now that would be useful without internet. Zero to me. I have the calculator. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I <laughs> use that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. 
know? there's a few right. majority now it's more about connecting to people communication seeing what's out there yeah seeing how many times you've been retweeted right. checking every <laughs> minute I think it's more about the part of the human condition and and people really striving for those social connections to form a, their own individual communities. And, and the Internet is just an amazing space where you can do that, where you can travel through space and time around the whole globe and find like-minded people where before it was whoever the heck was in your village or in your school, and that's all you had to bond with. And now it's just expanded like exponentially. Yeah, it's going to be even crazier with VR when you're like physically or metaphysically in that space and you can actually travel through time and space but that does bring us right back to social right i mean the theme we started with that the value in these technologies is about us connecting the solo experiences are wonderful but at the end of the day we don't value those nearly as much as the relationships we have right now so that's an awesome thing and it and the uh the industry isn't quite ready to tackle those with except you know with a few exceptions of the companies we mentioned and you know they're just getting started really Mm-hmm. Just the beginning. Yeah, I mean, even the Oculus Social SDK, I don't believe it has voice integration right now. So you can't even communicate, like, in the same room or in the same app using the Oculus Social SDK. Uh, you can in, like, Oculus Social, the cinema experience, you can talk. But, and there's a bunch of crazy technical things that go into audio in 3D, 360 spaces that I just can't speak to. I just, I hear people talking about it and it's a huge problem. Bigger than visual, too, yeah. I would say. And that's where the immersion comes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, audio is a big part of it. And, um, you yeah, High Fidelity is doing a huge amount of work there. I'm Just disclosure, I'm an advisor to the company officially, just so everyone knows. I'm a big believer in uh, what Philip and his team are doing. And one of the places where they're spending a huge amount of time is on reducing audio latency and making sure that the quality of the audio experience is always consistent, no matter what's going on in your video, even though people are talking about, you know, VR and all the issues with motion of photons and keeping things, you know, keeping the pixels moving. Vital in VR to reduce motion sickness, but really to they enhance the experience, to, you know, to have a really quality experience that's social. It's a lot about audio. A huge, a huge... Yeah, I can't you know can't put a number and you can't quantify it, but it's a, an extremely important part of the experience. Yeah. I think in any medium, because like even like you notice any film, like you can kind of you can see a movie that has like really bad visuals, but that could be an artistic choice. But if there's bad audio, it's just bad audio. Mm-hmm. You notice it right away. Yeah, one experiment I did with a couple friends was I put on uh, an Oculus or a Gear VR in 360 photos in the same room, uh, and we went on the same photo. And we were looking at the same photo at the same time, and we were talking, and it was a lot of fun. We played I Spy in the photos. That's cool. Uh, so I would say, like, I Spy with my little eye, something red, and then they would look around in their gear and try to find it, right? Uh, but we didn't see each other. We weren't typing or texting. We were just seeing the same thing and talking, and that was huge. I could have spent hours like that. But when I'm by myself, that's isolating. It's not as much fun to explore a cool place unless you're with somebody, Right. Uh, so just the audio is when we get that, it's going to change a lot of things. Uh, and then you add in avatars and you add in realistic facial expressions, you add in touch when you have controllers and haptics. Uh, and then you're really starting to get onto something like smell isn't going to be a thing in VR. I don't think, uh, it's just, yeah, smell isn't going to go into, but audio, uh, and visual combined with some haptics, uh, that's when real magic can happen. But the audio is still a really, really, really big issue that has not been solved yet. Interesting. I mean, yeah, it's a very trippy experience for sure. 
I don't know. Do you guys remember the first time you tried VR? No, I do, yeah. I mean, the first time was Jaron Lanier's rig 20 years ago. He was visiting my wife's art school when we lived in uh, Massachusetts, Mass College of Art. So it's 22 years ago now. That was just before I moved to the Bay Area. Um, and it was really crude. It was like you could see the triangles on the, on, you wow. know, on the polygons. <laughs> flat shaded, <laughs> crappy graphics of you know creatures flying around in a really dead-looking space. But it was still very cool because you were immersed. right? And this was big rig that was $100,000 or whatever it cost back then. And now we're getting a $500 thing that, you know, right. so were you blows, still, it, yeah, blows were, it away. Were you blown away, like, trying the Vive? Like, was that, like, a... Oh, the Vive yeah. was incredible. Yeah, so if, you, if you're talking modern VR, uh, the first thing I tried was a DK1, um, and I lasted about 10 minutes, and I took it off, handed it back to my friend. I was like, okay, see, in five years. We'll see in five years, you know. That was, like, a year and a half before the Facebook acquisition, so... Um, you know, things have accelerated since then, but that certainly didn't seem near ready. Even the DK2 no. to me was pretty underwhelming. I just didn't see what the big deal was yet. And I was, uh, I was working in an adjacent field, just, you know, WebGL and 3D visualization in general. And people were saying to me, oh, yeah, well, it's going to be really great when it's connected to VR. And I'm like, don't even talk about VR in the same breath <laughs> as WebGL right now because WebGL is about to be everywhere. Apple's adopting it. Microsoft's adopting it. It's getting on the phones. Shut up. Don't say VR. <laughs> nice. Shut up. Right. <laughs> No, we don't want the freak show coming in and invading, you know, our <laughs> success with the But then, you know, we just skipped a step because the Facebook acquisition just like put the gas pedal down full throttle, right? I mean, yeah. just fully opened it up. And so, you know, after I spun around for about a month, I, I kind of got on the program and I was starting to see like, you know, the predecessor to the CV1, the HD, you know, Oculus. And it was like, oh, this is really getting pretty real, really quick. And then to me, probably the big epiphany, I mean, yeah, the vibe was amazing. It was a whole other step up, but it was, it was putting on a Gear VR. You didn't have the wires. Uh, yeah, tiles floating in space, but at least a really nicely designed first interface of that store where you felt like, hey, I just like jumped into my simple, game console yeah. interface, like inside my Xbox interface. You know, right. it felt like that, right? And it was simple and it was easy. And when you only had, you know, 20 pieces of content to browse through, you know, you didn't get into all the problems you have now, which is some swiping, swiping, of swiping. It's ridiculous. So to me, I think probably my biggest breakthrough was the gear. I mean, I was already fully on doing cardboard and Rift stuff, but the gear was the revelation for me. Definitely. It's that wireless experience. Oh, that's sure. a big part of it. The wires suck. That's the biggest <laughs> yeah. thing. That was the biggest thing for me too with the gear was just the fact that the first time I tried it, I was going to SVVR and Helen C2 of Next VR was... Uh, taking a ride with us down there and we're getting Thai food before the event and she had the crescent, like crescent moon or something. It was the Gear VR prototype. Uh, there was no Innovator Edition yet and she just whipped it out of her purse. What? And I was like, holy shit, you just pulled VR right out of your purse and onto my head and boom, I was at a, I was like watching the Golden Gate Bridge and a boat go by and their little demo reel. That, w that blew me away. The fact how portable it was and that it was just right there. She can keep it with her wherever she went. Uh, my first experience, though, was DK1. When we threw our first event, our first meetup event at our office, we had uh, a DK1 there. And I played Temple of Merc, which was AJ Tavacoli's game. He's at Angle Technologies now. And he had the controllers with the uh, Razer Hydras. So I was, like, fully there. But I lasted about, I think, less than you. I lasted about two minutes, and I was sick. Uh, instantly, and I had to get out of there. I was sweating. <laughs> I had to like step outside for a minute. Still blew me away, uh, and I kept going with it. I didn't. I, I, I realized its potential. I think uh, I didn't think it would come this fast. 
but but it's uh it's amazing to see just how much the hardware has come since then because that wasn't too long ago and now like seeing like the latest cv1 uh version of oculus it's it's so much better we're innovating so quick it makes me extremely hopeful yeah it's awesome and i think there's one thing we can all agree on it's gonna be awesome where we can all go in vr together do some cool stuff communicate with people across the world and feel like we're in the same space together mm-hmm. yeah well uh, i think that's time guys uh thank you so much for doing this right tony nick our pleasure thank Thanks, you so guys. much If you enjoyed this talk and want to check out more, go to our website at thinktankcast.com and subscribe with your email so we can send you all of the latest episodes, news, and updates right to your inbox. Also, on our website, there will be show notes for this episode, uh, some links to the things that we talked about, and more detailed information on our guests. If you want to see the video of this episode, it'll be on our YouTube channel, which is also linked on our website. And if you want to keep in touch, we're on social media. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're at Think Tank Cast on pretty much everything, so you can find us on the web. And all these details, again, will be linked to our website at thinktankcast.com. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Amplified pattern recognition. Why does the universe exist? We're about five lines away from the tiny answer.